Welcome to the GEM series, powered by Rocket Level. On this podcast, we empower entrepreneurs to succeed by setting big goals, executing like a pro, and having a fearless mindset. The GEM series is all about investing in yourself. We're here to share the path to getting what you want out of life by sharing the stories of entrepreneurs who have done this themselves, providing thorough research from our team on what careers and habits are yielding the best results, and discussing the mindset it takes to overcome the obstacles that all future entrepreneurs will face. Investing in yourself starts with putting in the work every single day, and this podcast is here to help you do exactly that. My name is Blake Chapman. I'm the Vice President of the Ambassador Program here at Rocket Level, and I am thrilled to be your host for the GEM Series. Welcome to the GEM Series, everybody. I have a very special guest today. Uh, we got Brendan from Master Talk. Brendan, how are you doing today? Very good, Blake. How are you? How are you? Hey, I am doing wonderfully. I, uh, you know, just have been really excited to get to talk to you. Uh, so, for anybody that isn't familiar, Brendan is the founder of Master Talk. He uh, coaches ambitious executives and entrepreneurs uh, to become top one percent communicators in their industry. And uh, you know, I've been watching some of the YouTube videos on the channel called Master Talk, and they are just incredible. Uh, with the goal of providing some free access to communication tools for everybody in the world. Um, Brendan, I'd love uh, for you to take a moment to tell the audience a little bit more about yourself, because obviously me reading a short bio can't encapsulate everything that you do. So could you just share a little bit more about that? For sure, Blake. And you got most of it, honestly. I would say the only piece is, is how this all came about, which was in, in college. I went to business school, Blake, and I did these things called case competitions. Think of it like professional sports, but for nerds. So while other guys <laughs> my age are playing rugby or soccer or baseball, I wasn't really one of those guys. I did presentations competitively, and that's how I learned how to speak. But then what happened was as I got older, I started coaching a lot of the kids in college on how to communicate too, because we needed someone to help them win competitions. And I accidentally developed a skill on coaching other people and how to communicate ideas. So I started Master Talk, the YouTube channel, because I realized that everything I was teaching them wasn't available for free. So I started making videos and then a few years later turned to something I never thought it would, to be honest. That's absolutely incredible. A couple of things that I really liked about that. One, it seems like you have a natural drive to want to help people. Uh, let, let's pause there for a second. I What made you want to help out some of the younger kids, uh, you know, to to help level their game up too. Yeah, for sure. But like, I, I think it's more just a philosophy that I have in life. I mean, life is short. We're all going to die anyways. So we might That's as well true. figure <laughs> might as well figure out what's worth standing for. And in my earlier life, I wasn't that way, maybe 10, 15 years ago. And and the reason was, was very justified because I was just focusing on retiring my mom because my parents were both factory workers. And the main reason I did these case competitions wasn't to become a public speaking guru or a coach or whatever. The goal was really to get a very high paying job in corporate. That was the goal. That was the focus. It wasn't to be a YouTuber to share my knowledge and save the world. Like I was really focused on saving myself and, and my family. And I feel a lot of us should start that way. But when you fill up your own cup, you realize that the game that you're playing has a finite end. Cause it doesn't take a lot of money to really secure your family. Like if you live below your means, you're smart with your money. If you're making 70, 80 grand a year and you don't have kids, you don't have a mortgage, like the, things get sorted out really quickly. So then I started to ask myself the bigger questions of life. Well, then what's the point of life? Like, do I just work at a job for 40 years? 
And I realized that that this is a gift I had. And I, I feel I'm the only person in the world who can actually help the world with this. So I went for it. That's really incredible. And, you know, I, I think a lot of people are sharing that sentiment right now more than ever. You know, they're they're really digging deep to find what do they want out of life and trying to make sure that they marry their skills and, uh, you know, find the right fit for them so that they can bring the most value and live the most, you know, incredible life that they possibly can. Uh, so tell me a little bit about the early days, though. Like what drove you, you know, whenever you were doing these case competitions and you wanted to go to this corporate job, like what was, yeah, what was life around, around then? And, and what kind of drove you, uh, you know, to keep getting better and keep getting better and, and all of that? Was it always just the corporate job or was there, you know, was there any kind of mindset stuff that came into that with like parents or colleagues or anything? Yeah, for sure, Blake. You know, for me, the goal was really centered around how do I secure myself financially? That was really the yeah. focus back then. That's why I did these competitions. Cause when I was 19, and I started to meet a lot of the students who had jobs where I wanted to work because I didn't really have a network back then. One of the companies I worked at was a company called Price Waterhouse Coopers. Mm-hmm. It's like a, it's like an accounting firm. And I thought they were a water bottling company. That's how lost I was <laughs> when I started working there. I mean, I, I mean, I knew, I knew they were an accounting firm when I started working there, but when I first heard about sure. them, that's what I thought it was. So that, that's really how lost I was. So I would start asking a lot of these interns who were two, three years older than me who had landed jobs there. And I asked them, like, what, what did you do? Did you get good grades? Did you study really hard? And they all just looked at me in confusion. They said, no, you got to network. You got to do mm. case competitions. And I was like, what's a case mm. competition? They said, oh, you got to give presentation. I was like, what the hell? So I started doing these competitions. But then I developed an unhealthy obsession around them because I'm just really naturally really competitive. Sure. So I just, sure. and that's how I accidentally got super good at this. And then later on, I, I was able to leverage it to help other people. Wow. That's uh, that's pretty amazing. I got to be honest with you. This was doing a little bit of prep for the the call and learning a little bit more about you. This This was the first time I had actually heard of case competitions. And it's pretty fascinating. It looks like it could be a, a pretty high pressure scenario. Do you, do you think you uh, learned anything from being under those high pressure scenarios? And yeah, what, how do you bring that into what you're doing now, you think? Oh, 1000%. I credit almost all of my success to that case competition. And it was very high pressure. Just to give you a context. That's why I'm sure the next question you're probably thinking is like, why the hell would anyone volunteer to do these things? <laughs> like to give you an idea, Blake, there's like 8,000 students, let's say in my business faculty, but only 80 people were in the case competition program. So 1% of the entire faculty. So it's one in a hundred students are in this program. So it's a very tiny group of individuals. So how does this work? A business gives us a problem, let's say Walmart or Nike, and students have three hours to read a 20 page case with no internet access, develop a strategy, a solution, make slides, make financial statements, do an analysis, find the solution, and present all of it at the end of the three hours. But at the end of the three hours, there's no practice time. You go straight to the judges right after, who are generally executives of the company. Wow. And the reason these things exist, Blake, because it's a very small community, only people who have done business school even know might even know what they are, is because it's a recruiting tool for the best companies in the world. So think Amazon will spend $30,000, sponsoring one of these cases, and their executives sit on that board of judges and go, I want that kid, I want that kid, I want that kid. And they start giving them job offers and interviews before anyone else does. 
Wow. So it's uh, it's like a straight pipeline to getting the corporate job that you want, essentially trying to find the best of the best. You got it. That's why most people who end up doing these competitions uh, end up getting three or more job offers out of university. And I was no exception for sure. So fast forwarding, I guess, past case competitions a little bit. What did it look like once you, because I mean, you did land that corporate job, right? You did, you did get that goal. Yeah. So what happened after Blake? And to be honest, I loved my job. I was an IBM consultant in tech for, for two and a half years yeah. before I went full time on Master Talk. But what happened was a few things. One, I, I just started making videos in my mom's basement. I started Master Talk because I needed something interesting to do outside of work. Yeah. Not to say work was bad, but it wasn't that same competitive thrill that I was used to in competitions. Because when you do these case competitions, it's kind of like when a professional athlete retires from their sport. Sure. Right? Think of like an NBA player who's like done with basketball. Well, one day there's 10,000 people screaming your name. But then the next day you, you're just like nobody cares. And so this was the same thing except 10,000 people is probably more like 100 or less than 100 in my case. Where, where I kind of just said, okay, what, how do I recreate that competitive environment? And I realized there was no replacement. So I decided to create my own game through MasterTalk because I felt I found a void in the marketplace. So I was just making these videos for fun. I was finally making money for the first time in my life. So I retired my mom, paid off all of her family debt. That is and amazing. we were finally, quote unquote, wealthy. Thank you. Wealthy in, in, our, in my life. So I just started saving a bunch of the money. It's like I was buying a BMW with it like my friends. Yeah. Were. I was just saving and stacking. And I just said, okay, what's the bigger game here? And then I met my business partner nine months into making YouTube videos, and he's the one who advised me on how to turn this into a business, which ended up being coaching technology executives for money, and they're willing to pay thousands of dollars to have access to me. So I just shifted. I pivoted, and I said, am I – because I think what shifted, Blake, was before I was so focused on money. Because when you're poor, it's normal. If you don't have a lot of money, that's all you're focused. You have a scarcity mindset. Sure. But after later in life, you realize, and some people learn it at 50 years old instead of 26, like I have, is time is actually way more valuable than money. Because even if you're a billionaire, you can't buy your time back. So I asked myself a more valuable question, which is, how do I want to spend my time? And the answer just became obvious at that point that I had to quit my day job and, and do master full time. That's pretty empowering to to be able to ask yourself that question. Uh, and execute on it. I feel like there's a lot of people that are in a similar boat, but for some reason, we just we just drag it out. Uh, what kind of prep work did it take? So I guess you kind of detailed some of that. So you saved up money, you got advice from people around you. Uh, yeah. I mean, tell me a little bit more. What was what was the what were kind of the fears that went into making that kind of shift? Or, uh, you know, what was it like speaking with your family? Anything like that that came up? Oh yeah, like a ton of those. I mean, let's let's launch your list all of it. So the first one was it was very risky for me to quit my day job. It's been thirteen months that I've yeah. been full time now. Now it's it's not a bad decision. Congratulations. We're fine. <laughs> yeah, thank you, man. But I side hustled Master Talk for two and a half years at wow. IBM before I quit. So that's important to mention. You know, I find a lot of entrepreneurship these days in media, it's like just jump and burn all the boats. I was like, Yeah, well, you gotta feed that family to family to feed. You don't want to burn nothing or else the whole house is gonna burn with it. So I went into <laughs> recommend that absolutely i would say the first thing is i'm the most risk averse person you'll ever have on your show in the sense that i did a few things for i quit corporate one i already had a product that was making money so my coaching business was already doing well i wasn't making a million bucks a year but i had replaced 
20, 30% of my income. Yeah. And I was doing MasterTalk 20, 30 hours a week, Blake, while I was doing IBM, which was 60, 70 hours a week. Right. So, so I'd already done a good job there. The second piece is I was willing to do my side hustle part time. A lot of people, they want to go full time mm-hmm. and they're not willing to work on the business while they're have a day job. And those people just won't win in entrepreneurship. Yeah. And then the third piece was I had a nine month emergency fund. Like I took very little risk. Once again, I was only the only breadwinner in the family. So I spent two and a half years just keep producing YouTube videos. I took 25% of my personal salary that I was making at IBM, funded my best friend so he could professionalize my videos. That's why my videos look all cool now. And that's that's how I was able to quit. So yeah, I took very little risk. But I will be honest when I say, Blake, I got lucky in the sense that my gift, my talent, you could charge a lot of money for it. Mm. Whereas my best yeah. friend's a painter and he made it, but it took him a lot. That would be quite a quite a grind. I mean... I love that you have some real hard truths in there. Uh, one is that, I mean, gosh, if you are in a position where you want to try something else, I mean, it is a big risk to just assume that you're working, you know, gosh, even if you're working 40 hours a week, I mean, that's nothing like you're probably not. I mean, I hate to put it out there. I want to promote work-life balance, of course, but if you're really trying to become the best at something, you can't, you're not just putting in 40 hours a week at what you're doing. So to think that you could just switch and just randomly start running your own business, it's just unrealistic. Um, even you kind of talked about the same way that athletes are, uh, you know, they get addicted to almost like the high of, uh, of thriving at the top of their game and want to find something new later on and, and how you were doing that with your videos. And I, uh, I think that that almost kind of can get tied back to the, the pivot just in the sense that, you know, if an, if an athlete were to switch into another sport, we've seen how that went with Michael Jordan, you know? Um, and he didn't, he didn't do the prep work. He didn't remove the risk. Um, so I actually, I actually love that because there's too many people out here saying, just rip the bandaid off and do it. And don't get me wrong. I think you should go for it, but at the same time, be real. Right. I mean, yeah, it sounds like that's something that, uh, that, that you had, you did a good job of with yourself. Yeah, man. I'm glad you noticed that as well. I definitely agree with the, the point on MJ, though he was already pretty successful. It so didn't really matter, but <laughs> yeah, it didn't really matter in his case. But I, but I think, the, but your point is still valid, by the way, Blake. But I would say the, the key here, I would say that the overarching principle, cause, cause I, I, I hate coming on shows and just saying, this is what you should do. So let me go through some principles that literally any human being can do. But they just don't, regardless of their mm-hmm. situation, even if they're a single mother with seven kids. And obviously my heart goes out to those types of individuals. Sure. But the principles I'm going to share right now, Blake, they apply to everybody. Yeah. The first one is people don't make their purpose their priority. Mm. That's just the most important thing. You know, a lot of people make their lifestyle their priority, especially with the money that I was making at IBM. I could have easily bought all the nice, shiny things that I wanted. Mm-hmm. I mean, not that I wanted, excuse me, that I could have bought, but I would rather have more leverage. I just wanted more capital to, to follow my dreams. Whereas other people, they care a lot more about the shiny objects what other people think. I think that's one piece is that they don't make their pro- purpose their priority. Like me and I'll always say this on record. If I go to zero financially, I'd work at a coffee shop to make Master Talk work. Mm-hmm. I don't care. Yeah. Chances are I'd probably just be able to get another corporate job because I built the right relationship. Not that I need it anymore, but it's more of a mindset because mm-hmm. that's how much I care. Second thing that I'll mention, I still live with my mom and my sister. Yeah, that's amazing. And the reason is simple. 
right? The answer is simple. That's nothing to do with finance. I mean, some of it has to do, but like I could live on my own. Like it's not a yeah. problem. It's just, and this is a decision we made as a family that I think most people just don't do culturally. But I guess in my culture, it's very, it's different, I guess, or Asian culture is wait, why pay for three mortgages when you pay for one mm. and just split the mortgage. Like let, let's assume everyone's listening to this and his average income. Okay. Let's say 50 grand a year. Okay, well, if you have three family members who make 50 grand a year and you're really smart with your money, your household income is 150,000. Mm. And I know exactly what people are thinking right now. They go, well, Brent, I don't have a good relationship with my mom. I don't have a good relationship with my dad. And I go, okay, perfect. Why don't you just do this with two other friends? Like the, this yeah. is what my, one of my coaches tells me all the time. You can either, there's two types of people in the world. Like you either make an excuse to do something or you make an excuse not to do something. <laughs> So if I had a terrible relationship with my mom, my sister, which isn't the case, I love them to death, they're awesome. I would just do this with two buddies and just make 50 grand a year with two other people and, and we'd split everything. I'd still be rich. It doesn't matter. I'm not that I'm rich now, but you get what I mean? Absolutely. I'd be wealthy. It's just most people aren't willing to do that. Yeah, that's that's some of the bare minimum sacrifices that you just have to make to do something. And I think that's probably part of what's wrong with not to go into a big societal uh, kind of kind of rant here, but... I mean, people are focused on on all all flash and and no substance, and it's holding a lot of people back. And it's it's I think it's uh, ultimately preventing a lot of people from you know again going after their purpose, like you're talking about. So, oh, man, yeah. I that that just gets me so pumped up thinking about you know I love having conversations like these with people like you that are you know are are going in there or have done it and are uh, making things happen for themselves and a lot of other people. Do you remember what your initial, maybe one of your very, even at a young, young age, what was your first sort of goal that you were like, you know what, I'm going to do this no matter what from a very, a very early on age. I'm, I always like to ask that. <laughs> yeah, man, it's a great question. You know, it's funny, Blake, how, how much goals evolve. You know, today, today, my goal is, you know, TBCC, TEL, it's like something like coach taught me which is like an abbreviation for what you want which is essentially stands for the best communication coach that ever lived that's basically yeah. my goal <laughs> now. that's what that abbreviation stands for but i definitely didn't start that way you know my first goal probably i think in my earliest life was saving 50 bucks to make a video to buy a video game that was my first yeah. ever goal that i can remember like making 50 bucks online i used to do like surveys and stuff online <laughs> you get paid like two bucks or something and i would just save up all this money because remember back then for me 10 bucks oh, was ten thousand. yes right so, and my parents could never afford video games and stuff like that for me. So I would have to save up and they wouldn't let me work either because they wanted me to focus on my studies. So I found a way to make money online. I, I went on this website called Amazon Mechanical Turk, long story <laughs> behind that. And I was like 15 years old pretending to be my dad. That is, so is amazing. And I made like two grand. What? That's awesome. <laughs> just like, yeah, two grand, like making like seven bucks an hour, three bucks an hour. And I would buy a shit ton of video games. That's, it was crazy. <laughs> that is so cool though. I mean, I, uh, I remember having, having stuff like that as a kid too, where just, oh my gosh, your money went so far. And, uh, I, I did a little bit of the online surveying stuff too. I have a, I have, I have a hunch that oh, we're probably <laughs> in the same kind of age range, give or take. Um, yeah, yeah so 26. I'm 28. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's so funny to remember that era of like just wanting something so simple, like a video game and going after it. But I think that there's principles there, right? I mean, you see an obstacle that you otherwise could just admit defeat and just beg your parents and then hopefully they'll give it to you. Or you could go and like hack it and make it happen for yourself, you know? 100%. Like for me, it's all, I think Joe Rogan explains this better than me, but I'll kind of rehash yeah. what he says. 
It's like the idea of winning in a small way. When you start winning, you feel you could win more. Except the problem is a lot of people don't have a single W mm. on their scoreboard. Or they don't reflect on the Ws in their scoreboard. So everyone should be doing this constantly. It's like, what's something that you've already accomplished in life? Don't just focus on what you want. Focus on what you've already achieved. And if you start making that list, it creates momentum and it builds up your confidence over time. So when I started the YouTube channel, yeah, I'm some, some kid in a basement. It's like, okay, but my goal back then wasn't a mm -hmm. million subscribers or a hundred thousand subscribers or something crazy. I was like, can I post every week? Something that's valuable. So I did bit by bit. Can I get mm -hmm. better on camera? I did. When I did my first podcast, can I actually be good at this? And I was shit for like <laughs> the first hundred or something. And then over time, it's like they get better at better. And then I would set harder and harder goals because I would keep smashing yeah. through goals. And now the goals are a lot bigger, but I know I can handle them now because I started winning. Absolutely. Absolutely. Filling your tank up, you know? I mean, that's really, I, I like to think of that too. I also like, I love thinking about failures as well. You know, I, uh, I've learned that in, you know, being an entrepreneur or really achieving anything in life. Uh, for me, I, I kind of, I kind of crave, not that I want to fail, but when I do reach a failure, I found that it's really productive to look at it as reaching your threshold and then learning that you have to train to be able to execute it better next time. Tell me a little bit, uh, what were some of your, have you ever experienced like a failure where you're like, oh my gosh, I'm really going to have to pull me back, pull back from this or anything that you, you, you know, going through this process? Cause there's just so many things to take into consideration when you're getting going on something like this. No, I've never failed before. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was like, of course, I would yeah, honestly absolutely. be like, that's a flex if you say that. Uh, whatever, go for it. Go for it. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I don't, I don't, I don't know. A, I don't I just, know a single unless like you've done nothing no. with your life. Then, then well, you're those not pushing yourself. Then you're not pushing get, yourself. You know, yeah, you but not. Yes, a couple of things I'll sound failure, but let me start with the biggest one. Luckily, I haven't made big, big, stupid mistakes in my life, mostly because I just I just take the advice of mm -hmm. people that are older than me because they're trying to tell me something like, hey, don't get married mm -hmm. early. Don't have kids early. Don't. Yeah. Well, I listen to that. Right? Yeah. So I haven't made those mistakes. So but but yes, absolutely. So with Master Talk, I would say one of the brilliant ideas they had, I'm being sarcastic here for those who are listening, <laughs> I've caught on so far, is I said to myself, if I emailed all the university professors in Canada or college professors and I shared them my YouTube videos, it would create unlimited distribution ah. because they would watch my videos and go, this is good. And then share it with the students forever. That sounds, sounds good. Here. Oh, yeah. you're such a smart guy. Sounds great on paper. 50,000 emails later. And I'm not joking with the number. 50,000 <laughs> emails later, Blake, I realized really quickly that university professors do not like me. <laughs> <laughs> they don't like kids. That, so I got so many rude emails, like disgusting oh emails from these professors going, you suck. First of all, you don't call me by first name. Wow. All this like criticizing my YouTube video. Like it was horrible. But I, but the mistake was mine. And I'll tell you why. Because I was a stubborn mm. guy. Stubborn, stubborn, stubborn. Right? Because I should have stopped after mm -hmm. 500. Why did I keep sending 500 emails every day for three months during the summer? That's literally what I did. That's why it's 50,500 emails a day oh my for gosh. 100 days. I should have stopped. And if I had known, as mm -hmm. an example, Blake, that podcast guesting, what we're doing right now, is actually a thing, 
I would be way more successful because I would have emailed 50,000 mm. podcast hosts and I would have been on like 5,000 yeah. podcasts. <laughs> you know, um, it's funny. That, that kind of reminds me of a scenario that I, I, I've been thinking about recently where, you know, just essentially, I just realized you got to have a plan A, but then behind that plan A, you got to have a plan B and a plan C. You know what I mean? And I think that's where a lot of my, when, what I would call failures have, have come from is only putting all my eggs into one basket and like being so passionate about something because I think that that's a risk of having the personality type of like being go, go, go and determined. And uh, I'm, I'm pretty stubborn myself, you know? Uh, <laughs> so I, I think that's, uh, I think it's pretty cool though, seeing that you push through and like you did what you said you were going to do. You're like, I'm going to, I'm going to make this happen. Like regardless of the outcome, like you learn, you learned. And then you also, I'm sure that from that it's weird. I'm sure you gained some other skills and things like that along the way. Absolutely. But like, you know what I always like to say to build on your point is you got to marry the vision, mm. not the tactic behind the vision, right? So marry the why, not the how. So what that means is obviously your why went more sure. clear at the beginning. So when I started master, I had no idea I wanted to be the best communication. I was just making videos for fun. But now that my why is solid, now I'm mm. flexible on the how. So I'm going to try different strategies, like a multiple lead bullets to see what works, which brings me to the most important point about failure, Blake, that Please. I love to share. And the most important piece is that the relationship that we have with failure when we're successful people is very different than the relationship with failure that unsuccessful people have with failure. What do I mean by this? Let's say we take sales as an example. So an unsuccessful person might try to do five calls, six strategy calls. Let's say none of them get sold. They go, oh my God, life is over. I got to try something different. Whereas the successful person, let's say does 10 calls and one of them sell, whatever the price. Let's say it's a thousand bucks. Okay. And they go, wow, one out of 10. So for the successful person, they go, okay, so if I do a hundred, that's 10 sales. If I do a thousand, that's a hundred sales and if I do 10,000 that's a thousand sales thousand sales times a thousand bucks million bucks okay let me just ring 10,000 mm -hmm. right so it's just so it's a different relationship with failure than the unsuccessful person who just gives up after six right and that's the way that I view it so for example YouTube my first thousand subscribers not a lot of people know this you know people think that the algorithm just saved me yeah you look at my count now people go yeah yeah it's all Brendan's talent whatever I begged for my first thousand subscribers. I was on my knees, Blake. I went to my, <laughs> my university students. I had coached for free for four years. And I literally said this verbatim, guys, I've been coaching you guys for four years. All of you guys got multiple six figure jobs on university. And I didn't ask for a penny. So here's what you're going to do. You're going to share my YouTube videos with a bunch of people and they all obliged. And I hit a thousand in four months. That's basically what happened. That is so, so cool. I mean, it's just so important too. Like, I love the difference between that you mentioned about, you know, being a successful person or an unsuccessful person and kind of the mindset that goes into that. Um, cause I can't tell you how many people where I'm like, I'm like, man, you know, I, I, I know tons of people in sales and, uh, you know, the it's, it is funny though, getting started. It's like, Hey, even if you can't reach a cold prospect, like you're telling me that out of all of your friends and family, there's not a handful of people that could probably help you make your quota. There's not something. And I think people neglect that side of it, you know, of, of just ex expending all their options. 100% man. I mean, I mean, think about the show that we're on right now. I still have that mindset today. 
even if I don't need to be on podcasts anymore, because the priority is not the sale. The priority is if somebody reaches out to me, that means the likelihood that they already like my work, that they've seen my work is really high, which means it makes a lot more sense for me to build relationships. Because for me, it's more about the mm. host, not always the audience. It's like if you build the relationship with 10,000 hosts, even if they're the only person listening to this, it might be more obviously in your case, but let's say they're the only person, Man. I would still do it because this is irreplaceable. Like there's a very big difference between you see me on a YouTube channel, you go, oh, this, this cool is, this guy's cool versus, oh, Brendan's actually not a pompous guy who's in a suit. <laughs> He's actually yeah. pretty real. I like this guy. I'm going to share my YouTube videos mm-hmm. with a hundred people. And that's how you actually build a following. And that's how you actually build a community around you, especially when times get tough. The only co- thing that never gets commoditized is brand. Like Gary Vee says. Absolutely. I could not agree with you more. Um, so tell me a little bit about when you got your first taste of, man, this master talk is is popping off right now. Like when was, did you ever have a moment like that in particular where you're like, I think I'm really onto something with this. Uh, to be honest, I'm still waiting on it. I'm kidding. <laughs> I, I, I would, uh, I would say the one, honestly, I thought master was a really stupid idea. I mean, think about it, Blake, let's be honest here. 22 year old kid, mom in, in mother's basement with no money, with the phone, making videos on public speaking and communication. Hey, who's going to watch that? Like I, what? Right? Doesn't make any sense. I'm like, I would watch it, but (laughs) (laughs) yeah. Yeah, There you go. So I didn't know that, like, I didn't because we didn't know each other when I started the channel. So, so for me, the only thing I was going off of really was the 25 Mm -hmm. students in my programs that not coaching pros, but like those case competitions that I knew would watch it. I never thought it would get this big, but I think the the other piece around that is knowing where the success, like starting with those little beats and always keep pushing towards the goal. But the other piece is what happened 12 months into Master Talk was I made my first executive coaching sale. That's wow. when I realized yeah. I had legs, right? Because I never thought someone would pay me thousands of dollars for coaching back then. Even if I knew I could get the result back, then, I just didn't have the the money mindset around that. But when somebody bought a service like i was just on a call i had no idea what i was doing on the sales because they just loved my videos so much they just bought it i, I saw them in my bank account i was like shit my business partner's right if i if i sell like 25 more of these people i'll replace all of my income at ibm yeah. and that's when it clicked for me that i could do this i can make this work for sure that is so so empowering to think about that moment when you realize you're like man i think i think i found my my calling here, you know, at least for the, I'm sure you'll do all kinds of stuff in your life because people like us, they just, uh, you know, it never stops. You're always looking for the next, the next thing. So who knows? Um, but, but for the foreseeable future, it's going to be really exciting to continue seeing, uh, master talk and what you're doing, take it to the next level. And, uh, you know, it's so, so, so cool whenever people have that moment and, and, uh, start seeing it. Cause, you know, that's even whenever they talk about startups or anything like that, that's when people are like, you know, when the product is viable is once you see somebody do that initial purchase, right? Because you're like, you're like somebody I don't know bought this. Like, that's crazy, you know? Absolutely, man. Like going from, especially with us, it was really quick because I went from January 2019, I started the channel in my mom's basement. And nine months later, I made my first kind of $100 an hour 
with when I was like charging really, really low, like for coaching. And I was like, oh, whoa, like even at that rate, if I get like a hundred clients, I'll make like $10,000 a month. Like this is crazy. Yeah. yeah. So, so yes, the epiphany definitely happens for sure. So do you have time for anything else when in this process now? Uh, Cause I've found some people are like, oh my gosh, I, you know, I have like a hundred hobbies and this is like my thing that I do nonstop. And then I have other people who I talk to and are, that are like, honestly, I dedicate like all of my resources back into this right now, you know? Yeah, I think it goes back to what you said brilliantly earlier in the podcast, but I feel some people missed it. It was the, you kind of talked about work-life balance and how that's important. Here, here's my definition of work-life balance. Cause let me, let me kind of put a, a stick in the, in the coffin here. For me, the definition of balance is to create your own damn balance, right? Cause I'm like super open on record. I work 12 to 14 hours a day easily. I'm either doing interviews, I'm either on sales calls, I'm other coaching clients. But when I'm on vacation, I go hard on that too. Mm-hmm. So like I'm going on vacation Saturday, nine days, all my meetings are canceled. Like no one can touch me for nine days. Right. So, so for me, what's work-life balance is look, I can't, I, I literally tell my family, I was like, look, I'm busy all day. That's why I live with them or else I would never call my mom. I know myself well, yeah. right. <laughs> I know I'd never call. Her. So instead of just living somewhere else, just stay with her. So it's integrated in my life. Right. But when I go on vacation, I go hard on it. So, so the answer to your question, Blake, is figure out what balance means for yes. you. Right. So it's all about, and don't judge other people's, not you, but well, no, yeah. the audience. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, and don't judge other people because it always feels because I'm aggressive. It's like, oh, like, is he No, no, I, I'm, I'm all, I'm all but, with it. Yeah. Right. So, so it's all about, do, doing your version of balance and not judging other people's balance as well. So for me, what does that look like? I spend 99% of my time on master talk because I'm seven years into coaching. I'm still one of the youngest coaches in the world and I'm definitely the youngest with an except with, um, an established, that's the right word, a communication YouTube channel. If I just stay consistent for another 10 years and I just keep doing the right decisions, being nice to everyone. I'm going to be the best in the world at 36. So I'd rather just keep doing this. And it's going to help a lot of people. Yeah. My God. Like I've already had the opportunity to coach so many, like even at at this point in the game, I'm already helping like crazy people, (laughs) insane people. So if I just, if I just keep going like this, I could really do something that Dale Carnegie couldn't do in his life. That is absolutely amazing to think about getting to reach so many people. And, and I think, I don't know, it's like with Gary Vee. It's funny. I I think I see people like make memes of Gary Vee about, you're so young. You're so young. You know, I don't know if you've ever seen so like, but like, oh, I'm a huge I, fan. I love, yeah, yeah, I love Gary V. Um, and uh, you so, know, I I think it's so cool that you got such a jump on the ball um, and showed that you know time is like you said earlier, time is the most precious thing. So we really, really can't waste time if we're trying to go after what our what our real purpose is in life. Um, yeah, man. Like a yeah. lot of people, just to build on that, you know, they always say. Uh, you know, take your time, be patient. You know what I always tell young people, Blake? I always say, don't lose your lead. Mm. Don't lose your lead. If you're, if you're high, highly conscientious, I don't, I didn't pronounce that correctly, but if you've got a high degree of conscientiousness <laughs> and you're in your twenties, yeah, it's a crazy word. And you've already figured out life and your purpose. Don't screw no. that up. You're like ahead of uh, 99% of the, I don't know anyone who can start a YouTube. I wish I help other people. But like, I don't think anyone's going to start a YouTube channel who's younger than me on communication and public speaking. 
So I could really create something really magical. So yeah, I ain't spending time doing anything else. I just do this. No, that's great, man. What makes you want to like, what gives you that drive to want to be not just being like, oh, I want to continue growing, but I literally want to be the best in the world. You know, where where does that come from, you think? Yeah, for sure. I mean, part of it was probably my hatred towards my dad. I mean, I, I lived in a very dysfunctional household. That's one yeah. of it. So I was wanting to prove him wrong. But, you know, later in life when I healed from that, I think for me, everyone in life is motivated by different things, Blake. Like some people, you know, they like, you know, kayaking every weekend or going picnic, uh, picnicking with their family and friends. And that's all cool. But I'm very similar to Gary. He's a bit more intense than me because he has like 700 people on his payroll or something nuts. But for me, it's like, I really love the game. Like, I just love, like, the willingness, the ability to do something great with our life. So even if I had more money, the only thing I would change in my lifestyle, <laughs> I might buy a green juice every morning that's delivered to my house. I might do that. But I won't, like, do anything crazy extravagant with the money. I think it's more about doing something great. That's one piece. Because life is short and I get to create something cool that no one else can really create. That's one piece. But the other piece is a story I'm happy to share that really motivates me every day. And, and the story is around a TikTok. So I was watching this TikTok the other day, Blake, and it was with Taylor Swift. Yes. Right. So Taylor Swift, obviously the musician. So she won an award called Woman of the Year by Billboard in 2014. And she's on that stage, Blake. She looks at the crowd and says, your future Woman of the Year is 11 years old right now. She's sitting in a choir She's learning how to sing, and we need to take care of her. And then the TikTok flips, and then it's seven years later, and Billie Eilish becomes the youngest inductee in Billboard's history and wins Woman of the Year at the age of like Chills. 17. Chills. And she gets up on the stage. I like that. Yeah, yeah, I'm not even done yet. I'm not even done yet. Right. And she's got a big bulky jacket. She's got her big glasses. She's standing up on the stage, and I'm going to quote mm -hmm. her a little bit. She goes, oh, yeah, what's up, guys? I don't know how I won this war. <laughs> Am I even a woman yet? And she's, like, making fun of herself. She's like, oh, my God, like, Taylor had all these speeches. And then towards the last few seconds, before the TikTok kind of offs, she looks at the crowd and goes, you know, it was 2014, and I was watching Taylor Swift's speech, and I was wow. 11 years old. And I was playing choir, and I was learning how to sing. And I had big aspirations to be a singer. So the only thing left I have to say, Billboard, is thank you for taking care of me. And then she walks off mm. the stage. And the reason that story always touched me, Blake, is I thought about the next Elon Musk. Because when Elon was 15, nobody gave a shit about no. him. Because he didn't have any money. Mm -hmm. right? He was like some kid in South Africa. Like, nobody cared about him. So I said, what about the next Elon? Like, as we're, me and you are talking right now, we're having this conversation. Mm -hmm. The next Elon totally. is born, is alive, is 15 right now, and might be in Cambodia, might be in Thailand, mm. and nobody's taking care of her with their communication skills. And I realized I was the only person who could do it, so I might as well be that person. Wow. That is such a that is such a powerful mission. And it's so weird how stuff just like, I don't know, you never know what's going to stick in your brain. But what I really like is that you, you follow your intuition, you know, um, because it is telling you something and it is drawing you in the right direction. You know, generally speaking, uh, I, I, it seems like if you trust your, your internal compass about what you're supposed to do, 
it will take you to that to that next level that you're trying to get to. Um, yeah, that's uh, that's such a crazy story to hear. <laughs> For sure. Man. Um, so, what is you know? I guess I would love to hear you know something that uh, basically maybe maybe why some of the people that are starting to get into public speaking more and more frequently like why do you think it's so in demand right now because i i mean i can think of tons of reasons um but i'm sure you have uh discussed this directly with people like what are the big things that people are getting out of it right now you think for sure blake there's definitely a a couple of big categories but i would say the big one is Mm. a lot of us are starting to become our own media companies right so whether and that's not just for business owners that's also for people with corporate careers in the sense that when you have a personal brand, yeah. when you showcase content organically on LinkedIn and different socials, people know who you are. You just get more job opportunities. So that's one piece. The second piece is that communication is essential to leadership positions. Whether you own the business or you're a VP in the business, you got to know how to communicate effectively or else you won't be able to climb the ranks. And the third piece is, in my opinion, anyways, communication, public speaking, what we're doing right now is the quickest bridge to trust. Mm. Because at the end of the day, the most important currency in business or in sales is trust. When, when you see me on a YouTube channel, it's one level of trust because you, you listen to the videos. It's, it's great and you're getting value. But then when you're on a podcast with me, it's a different level of trust because we're con- conversing. We're having a conversation. And then there's level of trust even above that, which is we meet up in person. We have lunch, right? Which, and nothing beats that. It's really hard to replicate that. But, but the idea is you're always about bridging trust and public speaking allows you to bridge trust at scale. Wow. Because yeah. if you're at a, mm-hmm. on a media or social or speaking, you could build trust with hundreds or even thousands of people at the same time, which is pretty crazy. That is pretty crazy to think about building trust at scale. Um, I mean, if you took that to a pitch meeting to somebody, I don't know how they, <laughs> how they would be like, well, I don't know how do I, how I could say no to that. You know what I mean? Uh, being able to empower, uh, you know, and, and build, build trust at scale is, uh, is, is, really powerful language. Um, I was wondering also, whenever you are doing some of these public speaking, uh, you know, seminars and, and teaching people, what are the, what are the biggest hurdles that you typically see people trying to, to overcome, you know? Uh, cause is it, is it nature versus nurture, you know, with some of this stuff, like what, is, what I would love to hear a little bit about that. For sure, man. Absolutely. Boy. I'll say mm-hmm. for me, funny enough, it's motivation. You know, a lot of people think it's fear. It's actually not fear. It's motivation. Because mm. if you're motivated to do something, you'll push through the fear and you'll do it. Because I had a lot of fear when I started the YouTube channel. And so why did I overcome it? Going back to the story we talked about earlier, I did it for the 15-year-old girl who couldn't afford yeah. me. Obviously, my clients who pay the bills are executives. But that's really why I did it. So I pushed through it. But now the, the, the more important question becomes, how do we get motivated with our communication? And the answer, oddly enough, is to dream about it. So what does that mean? We dream about our businesses, our health, our finances, our relationships. Mm-hmm. When was the last time we dreamed about our communication skills? Mm-hmm. And the answer is never. None of us ever do it. So what's the question to fix this? The question is so simple. How would your life change if you're an exceptional communicator? Really reflect on that question because communication is so much more, Blake, than just getting a promotion at work. It's the way you talk to your families. 
It's the way that you order food at a restaurant. It's the way that you meet strangers when you travel. It's every moment of your life. And once you realize communication is about leading a more fulfilling life, then you'll be on the right track to mastering communication because you'll find out why it's important to you. You know, I really love that. It seems like you're just truly, because uh, I get this way too, truly obsessed with what you're passionate passionate about, you know? Because I'm like, you've really considered every option. How do you get to a point where you're like, keep peeling back the, the onion and stay curious with this kind of stuff? That's because of smart people like you, Blake, who who ask me good questions. So that's, that's a, a technique I actually teach. Let's turn it into a lesson for mm. people. I call it question drills that I teach executives that people can just literally do at home. So the principle is you're right, Blake. Most of us are reactive to the questions we get asked in our life, whether it's from our family on a podcast. We just get, like, I get an example. It's super funny. When I started, uh, when I started podcasting, somebody asked me a brilliant mm. question. Where does the fear of communication come from? And I was like, yeah, I don't know, Los Angeles, <laughs> San Diego, you tell me, man. Like, yeah. Yeah, it's like, it's like Denmark. I don't know. Yeah. So, so I started, uh, I didn't know the answer, but obviously now I do. But I think the key is every day for five minutes, all you have to do, guess one question mm. that you think the world will ask you about your expertise, your business, your offer, what you're selling people, and write out the answer to that question. But if you do that once a day for a year, you'll have answered 365 wow. questions about your business. Except I've done that, I mean, a ridiculous amount of times when I started the business. Because obviously I didn't know the answer to a lot of questions because I was, I was the youngest person in the industry at the time anyways. <laughs> so I just had my friends just rip me apart. They asked me every question about communication until I had an answer for everything. That's really, really uh, a great exercise that I think a lot of people would would benefit from doing because... You know, also the thing is, I'm sure you have kind of your first initial ones that you can think of right off the top, but bringing in other people is, is so crucial, I think, because they probably think the ones where you're like, shit, man, I, I don't, I don't know exactly. Let me chew on that for a second. Um, do you have a pretty big support group that kind of helped you get to where you're at right now? To, to absolutely Blake. And by the way, like I, I consider everyone who even takes a mm. remote interest and what I do as my support group, like you, you're one of them. And the reason is because there's always something, whether it's in a super small way or in a big way, there's always something I can learn. Like the biggest thing I, I got from you today was how you compared my curiosity <laughs> to an onion. I never thought of it that way. How like you're like peeling back and most people just kind of stop at one layer. I thought that was super fascinating. But yeah, I got a village supporting me. I mean, I'm happy to list out a couple of things. My logo was not made by me. I was literally, I had 20 subscribers. I was eating a burger with my French friend, Mathieu, Matthew in English. And we were eating and he was like, <laughs> literally, dude, you need a logo. And I literally looked at him. We were like, ha like eating burgers. Yeah. I just said, yeah. dude, I got 20 subscribers. What's a logo? Like, who needs that? And he just made me one. Master talk the name. Mm. Obviously, it's trademarked in my name, but my friend came up with the name. He said, I think you should call it Master Talk. And I realized it wasn't trademark. That's and the guy who does all my video production is my best friend. Right? That's why he doesn't charge me a lot of money. So, and obviously, I have my village of university people I used to go to school with who did these competitions with me. So, yeah, I, I got a village behind me for sure. That's uh, so crucial, I found. I, I also think that having the right mindset about how you 
view the world allows you to feel that support sometimes. And I guess what I mean by that a little more specifically is I had a guest on, gosh, a few weeks ago, and she told me that her natural desire to help and, you know, put her, push your comfort zone whenever, you know, forming relationships with people is because she almost has lenses on that allow her to be able to see potential opportunities in anything that she does, not being advantageous, but knowing that all of this stuff stacks up, you know, and it, and it lends itself to getting you to a better place than you were at before. Um, and, you know, I, I think that's uh, pretty poignant to, to what you're talking about too, and that you've, you know, you're like, hey, I'm working with my best friend. I, uh, you know, I'm work. I consider everybody that I work with a supporter, and uh, it, you know, it's just so. I, I feel it's so essential. You know. Oh yeah, like you know the whole Steve Jobs mentality of be an asshole to everyone around you. Yeah, that might work for Steve, but I think in in most scenarios, especially in the business that I'm in, mm-hmm. in media, and I would argue the business that you're in because you're technically in media as well. Yeah, yeah, you just need to be the most generous person in the room. I've always found. Obviously, there's limits to generosity. You don't want to be taken advantage of. But I think the biggest part is you always want to assume good intent and always do good by people if you're able to, you know, like, you know, like Gary's a good example of this. Like when he started his brand, I'm sure he would say yes to every podcast. But then at some point, it's just it's just too much. You just wouldn't be able to live. Right. So so I think it's all about balancing that. But the principle is the same. If you're just a good, generous person you'll get the retention you need. I haven't, I haven't ah, had a single person yeah. quit on me since I've started Mass Talk. Not a single person, right? Right? From my three original people, they're all still with me and they all still help me. So yeah, if you're a good person, it just works out. So what's the favorite thing that uh, you, you get out of, you know, what you do right now? Or what's the favorite, your favorite thing that you do currently? I would say, I mean, definitely my favorite part of, of my life in general is definitely coaching clients, just seeing the transformation live in person. But I would, because just seeing them go from A to A to Z is super fun. But I would say that the thing that excites me the most is uniqueness of purpose. Like I've really found a purpose for myself that I don't think any human being on the planet has right now, which is like the next Elon is like yeah. a seven-year-old girl and I'm the, the one who's going to, like, it's super cool. Yeah. I feel like a superhero <laughs> uh, in my mother's basement in, in Montreal. So there you go. <laughs> I guess that's, <laughs> no, that's, uh, I think that's, I think that's really, really, uh, uh, it's, I was actually thinking about this the other day. Cause I was like, man, whenever I feel a sense of purpose in my life and like a new goal that I'm determined to go after, it's almost like it almost is superhuman in that I feel like you're you're injected with almost infinite energy and it's like I'm going to bulldoze, bulldoze through whatever, not in a harmful way, but I'm just going to keep pushing. You know, I have obstacles. I'm going to keep going no matter what. I uh, So, yeah, I, I think it is like kind of like having a superpower in a way. Um, and what in closing out here, I, I always like to ask the same question at the end. What would you tell anybody else that uh, is trying to do? something along the lines that you do if you did have any advice to share for sure man for sure this is great by the way thanks for having me Blake. super fun i would say this is kind of my closing remark first of all i would say congratulations to anyone who's listened to 52 minutes of the podcast you're clearly someone who's committed right to getting to the next level so here's the advice that i I usually share at the end for people who make it this far and and the advice is simply this be insane or be the same if you want to be like everyone else that's totally fine. But if you want to do something great with your life, you need to realize that people who do, 
the people who do crazy things, the people who do exceptional things are often crazy people. Don't you find it odd, Blake, that I started a YouTube channel at the age of 22 in my mother's base with no money, not on pranks, not on skits, not on a rapping career like most kids do, <laughs> but on executive communication tips? And then I went to coach these CEOs. For some reason, they started paying me money. Yet, no, I still no. live in my mom's base. By the way, all my clients yeah. know this. It's not like a secret, right? I live in my mom's basement. I karaoke in eight different languages. I'm in the 0.5, not in the 5%. I'm in the 0.5% of top listeners on Spotify for Justin Bieber, and I go clubbing with my family. How does any of this make any sense at all, Blake? And that is the point. When every decision in your life makes sense to the only person that it should, which is you, you're probably making the right decisions. So be insane or be the same would be my closing remark. That is... Such good advice. Everybody who made it to the end here, I mean, be insane or be the same. Remember that, you know, I think you might, I, I have a feeling that you're going to get some, uh, you know, some cult followers here and, and uh, I'll, I'll send you, uh, if anybody sends me any tattoos that they get that quote on them somewhere, I'll, <laughs> Let's uh, hope not. This I'll is keep you posted. <laughs> no, but uh, hey, it has been so, so cool getting to talk to you. You pumped me up, man. Uh, I, I, uh, I'm excited to see, uh, everything that you're going to be doing in the future. Tell Can you tell the audience a little bit more about anything that you've got on the horizon or any place that they can check you out? Absolutely, Blake. Happy to do that, man. So awesome. two ways to keep in touch. The first one is Master Talk, the YouTube channel. Just type Master Talk in one word. You'll have access to hundreds of free videos on how to speak. And then the second way to keep in touch is a free training I do on Zoom that's live and interactive on comms. So I'm the one who's facilitating it. It's free. It's interactive. It's fun. And if you want to register for that, go to rockstarcommunicator.com. Beautiful. Brandon, thank you again for your time. It's been a pleasure. Likewise, man. Pleasure was mine. Everybody, this is the Gem Series. Until next time, have a beautiful day. <laughs>Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Gem Series, the podcast for anybody dedicated to investing in themselves. If you'd like to see the resources mentioned in this episode, learn more about what we are up to at Rocket Level, or come over and join our team, just click on the links below. Until next time, this is Blake Chapman, and remember to be awesome and do awesome things.